One is the yes. It is really a great pleasure for me to have the opportunity to speak to you in this really interesting moment. Um, I remember that the last time we met uh, in Madrid here last year, you told me that one of the most challenging parts of your life was that you had to travel actually virtually every day. Uh, for someone who has been on the road, I don't know, 300 uh, days last year. How is the situation currently? How is your experience um, of being contained at your home currently? Yeah, it has been a very strange couple of months, um, primarily because, you know, I, I traveled like 350 flights in 2019. And <laughs> I know I was trying to make a change to that anyway, but uh, now it has changed by, by fate, you could say. Um, it has been very strange. So we've been moving online with most of our keynote speaking, and that has been a really interesting experience. I've done at least 20 webinars and doing keynotes remotely. Uh, but I foresee that basically most of the year will be stuck in mostly local arrangements rather than traveling internationally. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's quite, quite a change in the, in the plan here for me. Uh, but, you know, adapt or fail, that's, <laughs> that's really what's happening. Yeah. Yeah, it's strange, isn't it? it? It somehow feels that our world has come to this dramatic halt that uh, we are contained at home. Uh, but at the same time, we are probably changing our behavior faster and more radical than ever before. Um, I think it's fair to say that our societies maybe have digitalized in the last weeks more than in, in the whole decade before. Um, you also said that, I remember that, that you said that humanity will change more in the next 20 years than in the previous 300 years. Um, so you should be quite happy. Uh, we're in a good way, I would say. Oh, absolutely. I think that really what's happening is, you know, technology is the winner in this crisis, clearly, because technology is everywhere now, uh, in, uh, including use for tracking and tracing and, 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 of course, biotechnology and so on, but also helping us to communicate. And I have to say for myself, you know, I've never talked so much to people as I have been in the last three months. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like mm -hmm. we, we're, we're constantly connecting, doing stuff online, doing free things rather than, you know, constantly, constantly dealing with paid keynotes and those kind of things. That's been very good. We also realize, I think, that how important the human contact is. You know, I think it's coming to us now that it's technology is a very good sort of a tool or an aid, right? But in the end, we want to meet, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that that's coming back in the front. And I think it's also going to come back. But will we ever meet like we used to do? You know, mm -hmm. 2,000 people in a very narrow conference room. Uh, I think that's quite unlikely for the foreseeable future. Uh, and the other thing that's happened, of course, you know, we, we see great amounts of solidarity uh, so that people are saying, you know, we can do this together. So, you know, clapping to the medical personnel or uh, putting up a post-it note that you will help your neighbors and all these kind of things are happening pretty much everywhere. Uh, and of course, the big solidarity discussion right now is what's going to happen to the future of Europe. Uh, that is the number one question about solidarity. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, we're seeing we're seeing it as a central topic emerging. Right. Yeah, and you have talked about that great transformation we are in and that we need to reinvent ourselves and, and stay human at the same time. Um, at Telefonica, uh, we had already before the crisis now taking a very similar approach. And we talked about that uh, in previous occasion when we asked for what we call the new digital deal um, that assures that this digital transformation is human-centric and based on our values. Uh, I, I suppose that these questions are now more relevant than ever before. Um, how do you see that and what values do you think can guide us uh, really in this transformative journey? What is at the end of the tunnel for us? 
Yeah, you know, I talked about the great transformation before the COVID crisis, of course, in, in a slightly different context, but it is really a perfect p fit to describe what we're, what we're doing right now. So I've launched in the meantime my sort of uh, hub website, great with an eight, uh, transformation.com to talk about this. But, but you know, when I originally talked about it, I, I basically said, you know, too much of a good thing, technology, can be a very bad thing. Okay? So basically saying that technology is a tool, it's not the purpose of life, it's not God, it's not a religion, it's not, it shouldn't be a drug. You know, it is just something that we use to achieve something else, right? So technology is not what we seek, but how we seek. And I think that was the concept of, uh, before the crisis, of also regulating technology to still remain good, to remain magic without becoming, you know, the, the determining factor of our life. And now in the crisis, you can see, the technology is used for great things, such as tracking and helping each other to identify where there is COVID hotspots and those kind of things. But then we have to worry about, you know, if if uh, if observing everybody with an app, for example, like in Israel or or, or Korea or Singapore, if that's going to be the new normal. You know? So, you know, as Harari says, we're going from monitoring the outside to monitor the inside, you know, with technology. And I would agree that we have to really keep a very good eye on this. So. This is primarily the the, uh, the challenge with technology is too much of a good thing, uh, you know, basically coming out of control and subverting us in so many ways. Yeah, I would agree to that. And I also think that uh, today technology and connectivity is maybe essential for us to, to have this kind of uh, personal contact. I mean, it's not replacing uh, what, what the real, uh, not virtual personal contact would be, as you said, but nevertheless, it kind of, uh, allows us to connect with our loved ones and, and be in contact and, and not be totally separate. Just imagine for a second this whole crisis without uh, any good connectivity and, and, and the tools we're using right now to have this uh, interview, for example. Um, well, so, you know, this has yeah. been the saving, saving grace, of course, you know, clearly. You know, I mean, like in the 50 million people are now doing online conferencing and meetings, right? And every second there's a new one launching. And that has been great. And imagine without connectivity, we were really in bad shape, right? But if we take a little bit further out to the look of, you know, next five to 10 years, you know, connectivity is great, but it's not what we seek. What we seek is who we connect with, what we talk about, what the purpose is of our discussion, right? So this is not about connectivity being the holy grail by itself. It's a purpose to something. And I call that people, planet, purpose, and prosperity, right? Mm -hmm. um, where we have to cover all those angles. And so we need to be sometimes more careful and say what we're trying to achieve is to make a personal connection, not to connect to 5,000 strangers saying nothing. Uh, you know, that's, that's kind of like the antidote of the social network, you know, is we have to make sure it's still good and it's going to give us you know, take us to a goal which is much more about ourselves rather than about big data or what kind of app we use or what kind of device we have. Yeah, yeah I totally agree. And I think it's fair to say that it's maybe the first pandemic we are fighting um, with, with smartphones, big data, artificial intelligence, and all these uh, technologies. Um, and we, we need to make most of of the of their technologies but how can we do that you mentioned already you know the downsides you mentioned that there is a lot of concern that we that we can kind of somehow slip into this surveillance uh, constant surveillance and and all these kind of uh, really dystopian scenarios so how do you see how can we how can we guide this fine line between the need to use technology but at the same time make sure that we that we don't lose our values on that way 
Well, I think it's quite clear that looking at what what we had before the crisis, but even now in the crisis, you know, there's there's a pre-corona world and there's a post-corona world, basically, right? Mm -hmm. uh, even before this crisis, you know, it's it's about supervision, accountability, responsibility, collaboration, and in the end, regulation, right? I mean, this is what happens with all powerful things, whether it's an airplane engine or guns or, you know, or, or smoking or alcohol or, or technology. Right? So, so as William Gibson says, technology is morally neutral until we use it. Uh, and, mm. now, and now we're using it ev everywhere. I mean, now this crisis is going to lead to a huge boom. Look at all the stocks of tech companies are exploding. While everybody else's stocks, you know, oil and, and marketing, and you know, they are declining because of the crisis. Yeah, clearly, technology is coming out the winner uh, as the winner. Biotech is coming out as the winner. Uh, devices, camcorders, you know, what have you, coming out as winners. So here, what we need to do is to say, well, it's you know, this is a good thing for us, and let's th think about how we can keep it magic and good without going way over the top. It's kind of like you know, drinking alcohol. Many people don't drink alcohol for the obvious reasons, but if you do drink alcohol, you regulate in some way your own social contract and your own understanding. You don't drink a bottle of wine before you go to work, mm -hmm. uh, but 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 you could. So I and this is something I think we have to do about technology: social contracts, norms, accountability. We need to keep those accountable that maintain networks and systems and portals and platforms. And that we really haven't done because we've been happy that they are there, right? <laughs> and mm -hmm. that's been enough, but that's not enough now. And I think in this world, clearly, we're going to have roughly 9 billion people on the internet by 2030. And at 5G and above, right? Imagine what kind of things, good things and bad things, you know, we are looking at then. Yeah, I mean, and even some economists like, like Thomas Piketty and others, they suggest that this crisis maybe even a turning point for, for global capitalism. Uh, how do you see the future of our economic system of capitalism, of globalization, of what we have maybe built over the last generation? How do you think this will be impacted by, by that crisis? Well, I think everybody's asking the question now, what is the role of the state, you know, the invisible hand, uh, the free market economy? Clearly, we're not in the free market economy now. Right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> we're, we're helping people to survive. That's, a, that's the primary purpose of our economy now. Uh, and, the, and the state is mingling in everything now, and, and we're accepting it. The state is telling us when we can go out, you know, how much money we can get, and, and, and it's fine. You know, it's emergency, right? But I think if we have, to, if we have a look at, as to what a survivable business model in terms of economics is, it's really quite clear that sort of corporate capitalism and, you know, extreme capitalism as practiced in the U.S., for example, uh, is not sustainable in a world that is, has complex issues, right? Mm -hmm. So... That's uh, that's uh, healthcare for everybody. Uh, this kind of concern about security and safety, and also surveillance about technology uh, and inequality. You see, the biggest issue in this crisis is that the people that were already at the bottom, they're going to be even more at the bottom because they are not capable to do what I am doing here in Switzerland. You know, which is to hunker down and, and ask the state to cover for my employees, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so I think we're really seeing that in this crisis that this kind of state capitalism, and uh, I, I mean, uh, uh, corporate capitalism uh, or state capitalism as in China uh, is ultimately not so suitable. You know, I'm talking more about what Al Gore has called sustainable capitalism right? mm -hmm. or call it 
social capitalism, if, if you want and to use an even older term, and some economists call it post-capitalism. Mm -hmm. So what we need to figure out is what do we want, right? Do we want people to be together in a collective society, which is what Europe pertains to be, right? Or do we want it to be a society of Darwinism, uh, which is what America really is, or a society of autocrats, you know, like other countries have aptly proven that, that they can do pretty much anything, anytime, and especially now. So the question here is really what kind of society uh, do we need to fight those kind of things that we have now? And then, you know, the next pandemic isn't necessarily going to be a virus. Uh, it could be something of the technology side, like an AI pandemic, so to speak, right? Uh, failure of machines and, of course, climate change. Right? So to really agree on our future, we're going to have to rethink what we want. And it can't just be profit and growth and jobs uh, because it doesn't work, right? That system has proven not to work, especially now. Yeah, and I think that also in the public debate, at least some governments are, are perceived to handle the crisis, uh, the challenges we have currently better than others. Uh, I mean, there are even people predicting um, or saying that democracies have maybe shown less capable of handling this crisis than more uh, autocratic regimes or strongman regimes or whatever you might call them. Uh, would you agree to that? I mean, for example, Europe, uh, I mean, it's much criticized in many regards and, and uh, there's constant um, news and, and opinion about that, you know, we've seen the end of unification in Europe that uh, basically is, it has failed during this crisis. Um, it's failing people. It's not doing the right thing. It's criticized, uh, criticized a lot. Um, and it's also fair to say from a sanitary point of view, maybe the region most affected by the virus. Uh, how do you see that? I mean, how do you see the impact of this crisis on politics in the general sense and specifically on Europe? Well, I would say that, that the crisis has proven that culture beats pretty much everything, right? Uh, and culture is not just about democracy. It's also about the financial system. And it's about your location. Every country has had a different response because of the unique situation. And it would be wrong to say that democracies are worse off than tyrannies, you know, just because a tyrant can make fast decisions. But what if a tyrant makes a wrong decision? <laughs> you know, that is just one person. Uh, so, I mean, if you look at what happened, for example, in New Zealand, you know, which is an isolated country to begin with, everybody moved together and Jacinda Ardern immediately came up with, with the right concept and they've overcome it completely differently than say, you know, what's happening right now in Brazil. Right? Or here in Switzerland, you know, where the country, where the government has said, you know, we have to help everyone to get through this crisis and mobilize large amounts of money to reboot the economy and things like that. So the primary issue really for us is uh, we need to have trust in the government. Right? And mm -hmm. if you look around worldwide, who trusts their government? <laughs> then you come up with a pretty short list. You know, the Brazilians certainly don't. Uh, the Americans, yeah, big question mark, depending on who you are. The Germans, kind of. The Swiss, very much trust their government, right? The, the Kiwis, New Zealanders, trust their government. So this is a key question. Um, and ultimately, it's about personality and leaders that can lead into this sort of really complex world, as we've seen most of the good leaders right now are women, right? I mean, it's, yeah, and most of the bad leaders are guys of my age or older, right? So you have women like Jacinda Ardern, you have uh, Marina... Marina up in Finland, you have uh, people in Belgium, Iceland, Finland, you know, who are leading the pack. And, and clearly, of course, what happened in Taiwan and Korea, South Korea, 
we can say, well, you know, that's probably a good combination of a democratic approach, but very much based on technology. <laughs> right? So I would say the jury is out on this. I'm personally convinced that any sort of populism or backwards looking strongman will not survive this crisis. Uh, because no matter how you look at it, their performance is dismal. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I mean, if you're completely blind to reality, which some people in some countries are, and this is why you have presidents like that in the beginning, in the first place, right? Uh, then, of course, it's one thing. But now people are saying, you know, what, what actually has this person done for us that was good? So I, th I think we're going to see a lot of people rethinking what they expect from a leader. Uh, and, you know, this is kind of like when you look backwards in the 50s and 60s, a lot of our parents would ask the question, so what, these, what did these guys do during the war? Right? Mm. Uh, and we look backwards and say, oh, these guys weren't good during, during the war. They're not going to be good now. And now we're looking backwards and saying, what have companies done during the crisis? Like, say, Airbnb, right? Great question. Mm. You know, ha have they done the right thing or have they mm. done the wrong thing? And we're going to ask the same of government and we're going to say, have they done the right thing? Or have they done completely the opposite? Or maybe they took too long to do the right thing, but in the end, have they done the right thing? And on that note, I'm convinced that the European government, the European Commission, will do the right thing. Mm -hmm. uh, it is currently it is currently uh, debating too many things here. I think this is just flat-out solidarity, no matter what the financial consequences. That's our best bet. Right? Uh, saying this as a German, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but... I think they will do what is the right thing to do. And hence, I have hope that we can unite uh, as part of this effort. Yeah, so uh, basically what you're saying is that, that you are not so skeptical about uh, the future of democracies, of European democracies, uh, that you rather see that this crisis might be a turning point in, in focusing people on, on, on what's important from a government and maybe not following as much any more populist movements, but rather look for this kind of more, uh, you know, long-term uh, foresighted leadership uh, based on, on facts, uh, call it intelligent um, and fact-based leadership. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think I'm convinced that social capitalism of one form or the other is the best way forward, period, especially in, in a crisis, you know, because if we apply this correctly, then we're covering all four bases, right? People, planet, purpose, prosperity. Mm -hmm. um, and we have the free market economy in there, but the free market economy isn't helping us with the crisis. It's not going to help us with the, with the shift away from climate change and global warming as we currently have. It's not going to help us in the issue of AI and geoengineering or whatever else you have out there, like extraterrestrials or whatever people are talking about in the future. Right? Uh, so we're going to need a more balanced way. And I think it's quite clear that I think uh, uh, Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, said a month ago, you know, technology can do great things, but it does not want to do great things. It doesn't want anything. <laughs> so, so I think this really applies to our society. We need to figure out what we want, and I think we have to get on the same page. And so I am with the UN United Nations General Secretary, Antonio Guterres, uh, who said that the biggest problem right now is we have a dysfunctional community of mm -hmm. helping each other to go into the future. And that's what we have to fix. Uh, and that's also what the economic prosperity will come from, you know, once we're at that point. Yeah, and to a certain degree, it's maybe fair to say that the crisis brings out the worst and the best in us, as, uh, as you also mentioned before. Um, so, so to speak a bit, a bit about the positive sides, what do you think are, are the good developments you see uh, from your point of view? 
Yeah, I mean, let's first not belittle the hardship that we're going to see. This is significant hardship. I'm experiencing myself, of course, but all around me, even though Switzerland is a very well-off place, and, you know, hardship in Brazil and India is going to look quite different with 35 million people being near poverty just in Brazil, right? Um, so, so let's acknowledge that, you know, right now the primary objective for most people has to be simply survival, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that's the first thing. And after survival, we can say now we're talking about transformation. Now we're talking about using that as a, as a jumping board. And I think there's many, many good things. Okay, first, we are going to take this opportunity to reboot the entire energy and, uh, and sustainability question. Uh, if we are going to subsidize the airlines to come back, they're going to be subject to carbon tax. They're going to be subject to changing how they do things because they're going to receive money. Right? If we do this right, we can reboot that entire conversation saying, you know what? COVID-19 was a huge issue, but climate change, you know, we're talking about the effects of climate change in the next 30, 40 years. That's a thousand X of what we have now, but like literally a thousand X. Right? So now that we've practiced how we can take a step back and maybe not travel so much or change our behavior, we can adapt that to climate change. It was a sort of a good model for what we can do if we all agree. Right? Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, climate change is a great example governments and the UN and sort of the global government concept, we're going to have to mingle with people's liberties if we're going to solve climate change, right? Mm. I mean, it, it can't be capitalism if, if you're going to say that a carbon tax is going to be put on every flight on the airplane, every car trip, right? Cruise ships, finished, right? That's not called a free market, <laughs> right? That is basically an action you take in a state of emergency. And that is coming. So I think that's the good news. The second good news is we have learned that we can work remotely. We can live remotely together. We can collaborate. We can, you know, I see a huge jump in, in augmented reality, virtual reality, mixed reality, um, communicating virtually. And as part of that, we have learned how important other people are, are for each other. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, and that's going to lead to more social contact that will eventually also become embodied again, you know, in real life, of course, right? That's not going to go away. Right? Mm -hmm. But so many, many good things. I think, you know, before this crisis, like three or 4% of the world was working remotely or from home. Now it's 30%. Right? Yeah. Going forward. Yeah. Going forward. I think many of us will work exactly like this because it has proven to work. Uh, yeah. and, 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 you know, many companies that were reluctant to allow people to work from home, they're going to say, well, you know, we tried it through the crisis and it worked fine. So let them stay at home. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. uh, that's going to be a huge benefit. That's going to rewrite everything. The city, what the city looks like, uh, our energy problem. And of course, last point here before I stop my diatribe here. Um, uh, tele <clears throat> telehealth and healthcare, biotechnology are going to get trillions of dollars in boosts. Because clearly, we have a problem, right? uh, and and that's the neglected the neglected part of the research is going to get a giant fix on the arm, and a lot of money that used to go into oil and gas is going to go into healthcare. Uh, so that's also very good news for researchers, for doctors, and even for social workers and healthcare workers. Mm -hmm. No, I agree, and I think what you're saying is basically that some of the tendencies we've seen uh, happening before we went into this extreme situation are, are somehow, um, uh, you know, kind of uh, 
they are it's like a catalyst so to speak you know we are now seeing a, a reaction going on which is kind of speeding up these developments we are maybe as i said before digitalizing ourselves and our lives more than we have done in years before in, in very short time um because uh, you know and, and you quoted uh um, Milton Friedman, I think it's, it's a terrible thing to waste a crisis. Um, th this crisis, only in situation of crisis, uh, human beings move and change, and, and we are maybe changing. So the the key will be to to uh, use this kind of uh, energy of change to move it into the right direction, and and that will mean what you just said. You know, thinking about the longer term issues we face here, which are of course climate change and and in general a change of our economic system towards a more sustainable um, way of life. So I would. Well, agree. I, no, I think I think it's clear that we must use this opportunity uh, to reboot things as much as we can before going back to business as usual, right? And business as usual wasn't normal and it wasn't good. <laughs> it was it was just temporary, and now we have a chance to reinvent so many things. And you know, after we go through the rebuilding effort, we're going. I think we're going to emerge stronger. We're going to emerge with new ideas, and we're going to emerge more ready for the next big challenges which are coming to us. Yeah, and is it not true as well? I mean, everyone is speaking about technology, of course, and how it helps us, and, and that's very true. And uh, working at a technology company which gives connectivity to millions of people, I mean, I would fully agree. But um, is it not also true that collaboration is is the great new kind of theme? Is it not that we see? that um, the collaboration between countries, between people in science, for example, what's happening currently, which may, might be the biggest effort by, by humanity ever to kind of in very short time find a solution on the science side, on the, on the health side for, uh, for, the, for the situation. Um, all this collaboration going on, just think about how also companies um, has tied up with public administrations to help in, in, in situations which have been very uh, much outside of their comfort zone. I mean, some car manufacturers have stopped doing cars and they switched productions line to do uh, respiratory equipment for hospitals in a very short time. Um, other companies um, have put themselves um, to, to help to the governments, to administrations to help. Telefonica has brought um, to Spain um, and to other countries uh, equipment, health equipment, uh, because we just had, you know, the um, maybe the uh, the possibilities in our supply chain to do so in the context. I mean, there has been so much collaboration going on. Is, is that not also one of these kind of mega trends we see? Clearly, I think that's uh, unprecedented collaboration that we've seen in, in this emergency. Also, solidarity and kind of forgetting about the other angles of you know having to get paid for xyz or, or trying to make a buck or so you know these things are that's what we do to, with each other now this collaboration thing is is going to stay on and we're going to expect people to be more collaborative in the future that's clearly a question uh, also that relates to globalization right uh and, and this is one of those discussions where you can say well globalization has kind of you know if you're global now you're in deep trouble you know whether it's your supply chain or your or your or your your engagements that you do around the world you know it's it's if you are global you're having more issues now so i think globalization is here to stay but it will change we're going to look also to be more self-sufficient like food and water right and supplies that that's clearly an outcome of this but we have found that you know on the large issues that are facing us and that's clearly pandemia epidemics ai employment automation water food on the large issues we have to collaborate or it will not work. 
Uh, and I think this is, has proven to be the case now, and I, I really do hope that we take this opportunity and say, you know, collaboration is more important than, uh, you know, closing the walls and making sure you're in your safe bubble. You know, now China is a great example. They collaborated a lot in the beginning, sharing medical research, and now they're kind of closing that a little bit, right? And I think we need to keep that going also by providing money for incentive of sharing of this kind of thing without looking for patents at every single corner. You know, again, this is a question of the economic system. So the pharma companies are more collaborative now, but will they in the future uh, be more collaborative with their patents? You know, that's a big question. And, and what would look this kind of new uh, capital look like? What would look the stakeholder capitalist model or the, uh, I mean, you, you said before that this is a new concept, but then at the same time, um, I think we, we just said that, you know, in Europe, for example, the idea that you have some form of social um, market capitalism is, is, is there at least for, for a generation or two. So is that really something totally new? And if it's new, what is new about it? Well, I called this, you know, last year, I, I, I started working on a new book and, and I called this last year the new renaissance. Right? When you go back to the 15th century, uh, Leonardo da Vinci, and this whole renaissance and, and the, 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 uh, uh, the Vitruvian man and all of these things, right? They kicked off this whole debate of saying, you know, what's more important? Is it the dogma and, and back in those days, of course, the church and all of that? Or is it people and how people live, right? And, and we had the shift towards people. And now, basically, what we have now in the, 20 year, in the last 20 years, right? It's basically shifted towards technology being more important than pretty much anything else. Also, because it made a lot of money and it created lots of jobs. And now we're in a situation where we say, okay, what do we really want? Right? We don't just want technology because it's cool. You know, we want, we want to go beyond this. Right? So this new renaissance says, here's the human, uh, I call this the neo-Luvian man, or woman, of course, right? with all these game changes, IoT and connectivity and AI around it. And we have to figure out how do we use that to our mutual benefit and that, again, I think the principle of that is people, planet, purpose, prosperity, the quadruple bottom line, and, you know, the millennial development goals, of course, and the SDGs, right? That goes right into the same direction. If our intent is to build a world that has good things for people, keeps the planet safe, provides a purpose for us, and creates prosperity, then we have to change a lot of things. Uh, and that, you can call that social capitalism or post-capital, whatever you want, but... But, you know, this is clearly the objective now. And, and this crisis will help us to think about that. For example, in many countries, we have, in fact, a basic income guarantee now, right? Mm -hmm. Because the government is paying for us to, to stay put and, and not mm -hmm. go under, right? And that's, in fact, almost the same thing. It's like, you know, I'm getting paid, I'm not working, right? <laughs> uh, and so this is a very good model for saying, well, what does the future hold about this? You know, is this a sustainable model in the long run? And is it better to keep people happy than to keep them than to put them out in the street unemployed? Is it better for the Germans to have happy Italians and to have broke Italians? Yeah, for mm -hmm. the answer is the answer is pretty clear. You know, it's like something that we want together. We have to pay together. Mm -hmm. And how do you see? I mean, when you think about now, people, you know, uh, you know, in this situation, what do you think will be kind of key? 
characteristics. I mean, what what can what can we do? What can each and and every one of us do to prepare ourselves for for this kind of uh, new future, which I think we all agree will come. And and I mean, you you mentioned in your book and you called it these mega shifts um, happening, where really history and 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 our whole kind of uh, development of society changed direction, and and it's quite. Um, probable that we are right in the middle of such a shift, and and so what do you think? What can we do as as each individual um, to to you know to be part of that and be successful? I mean, I think a lot of people will think now, what happens with my job? What happens with my work? Um, you know, we have a, a dump in the economy which is unprecedented uh, in a century. I mean, so so what can we do? It, there's a lot of um, like uh, feeling of being lost in, in this change because everything is happening so fast. Do you have some personal advice? Because your life has been disrupted a lot, as I said before. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm 100% disrupted right now, reinventing what I do with, uh, you know, moving things online, which is completely different. But I think it's really about four things, right? Insight, imagination, right? Uh, well, insight is really also foresight, right? Uh, Intuition, you know, being able to see things that are coming in some sort of intuitive way. And last is courage, right? And what we need to do is to prepare for this, to say, well, can we get a good feel on what we see coming? Right? Like, for example, I, I get a very good feel when I look at the future of tourism, that this, uh, this crisis is resetting tourism in so many ways. But tourism is based on providing experiences, engagements, relationships, tourism isn't going to end. Right? But maybe this is a good chance for us to talk about local tourism, to talk about sustainable tourism, right? to talk about uh, tourism under the four Ps, you know, people, planet, purpose, and so on, right? To talk about a larger tourism, a balanced tourism. Right? So that's my intuition that, that I would say, okay, I understand this, so therefore I see opportunity here. And I think this is really important for all of us that are looking at changing what they do and how they do things, is to investigate and to start uh, uh, sort of, you know, having a development intuition as to what may happen, right? That's primarily uh, called foresight, right? Uh, and then acting on your foresight and say, okay, I see an opening here, so let me think about how I can participate in this. Like my major opening, of course, would be uh, online and remote working and doing more television-style shows which I'm working on uh, rather than being the guy that speaks in front of 5,000 people every other week, you know, which is unlikely to happen in the near future. So I think we're all looking at this kind of reinvention. I think if you have a job like a taxi driver or, you know, selling in a store or so, yeah, that's, that's a tall order. Uh, and I think governments need to support that by providing visions and by providing possibilities. Look what uh, Portugal is doing in this whole digital economy thing, you know, is to find the, the path between tradition and the future, you know, uh, and, and countries like that. So there's many good things happening here, but it does require lifelong learning and thinking of yourself as constantly moving into the next window of, of opportunity. It's a mindset, you know, that's why I say a lot, the future is a mindset. It's not about tomorrow. It's already here, right? So either you have a future mindset or you won't be ready. Yeah. yeah, that's very true. And just to uh, tackle on, on an issue you mentioned before, but just to dive into that a bit more, you mentioned that there will be some form of new digital ethics we have to develop. Um, our lives have already moved into becoming more digitalized. We are already 
much more a digital economy and society than there have been only a month ago. Um, and this this will not go back. There will be no the new normal will not be the old normal. There will this will continue. And and I think that's what uh, I mean. Most people believe that there's no way back. Um, so what? Is that do we need a new kind of compass and all that? Do we need a new do we need new ethics, or is it you know th that we can build on something here? You mentioned also before the strong state, a stronger state, um, somehow uh, an impact on on civil liberties, on freedoms of people. Um, but that of course you know clashes also with our view that you know people are free and have um, rights to to take their decisions, and there's not a a big brother telling them what to do or big brother watching them what they're doing so uh, how do you see that going forward that's something which i think makes a lot of people very nervous currently yeah that also makes me quite nervous but uh, i think ultimately it comes down as to whether you believe that people are basically bad or good you know by by nature you know whatever that means yeah but i i think it's quite clear right now that uh you can trust a leader let's say the government as a leader in, in a larger sense right if they have fulfilled certain expectations, if they keep you informed, if they are open about what they're doing, right? if they make mistakes and admit them, like happened in New Zealand, again, great example, right? if they're approachable. So the trust is really the number one thing when you're talking about uh, this whole landscape of what's waiting for us in the future. And part of that is that I can feel that this person has an ethic, right? It stands for something. The person, the company, the government, the organization, stands for something. I know what Patagonia stands for, right? So mm -hmm. I buy Patagonia because I want to support them. I, I, I know now what Airbnb does not stand for, so I will not buy web from them again, you know, just mm -hmm. as an example of my personal experience. Uh, and, and so I think this is really important that ethics in the sense of morality, right? Um, that goes together with our expectation of the future. And I think we can we can always feel about you know whether we can trust an entity or the government or not. We we get a good feeling for this, and sometimes people violate trust, and then we have to go back and fix it. But I think this is the ultimate question, and this is why I brought up the topic of digital ethics for the last few years, where I proposed that we should have a digital ethics council, you know, an organization of wise people. You know, think ancient Greece, don't think Davos right now, even though that's probably not a bad thing there, but. <laughs> But think about uh, ancient Greece, you know, where we sit around and we say, okay, let's talk about if this is good for us or not. Because here's the number one question. I mean, it's hard to imagine now. But for our future, there's only one question, right? The question is not whether we can do something, because the answer is we can probably do pretty much anything. Right? Look at quantum computing. And I mean, it's, it's mind-boggling. Next 20 years, uh, huge. We can you know, genetically engineer humans and all these things. So the question is not uh, if we can do things, but what do we want to do, right? Yeah. And, and who makes those decisions? Well, that's obviously not a minor issue, right? But I think if we had an ethics council that, that didn't do anything else but discuss those top-line issues, mm -hmm. like, for example, you know, the Eurobonds now are an ethical issue. They're not an economic issue. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. right? And so we had, we would have an, an entity, and that's a little bit United Nations kind of concept that we have today. But that would basically say, okay, we believe this is the right thing to do for the purpose of humanity, which includes prosperity. I, I, I would hope, right? And then I think we would have a big leg up, and this goes for technology. Technology will become so powerful that just in a decade we won't know if it's me or if it's a copy of me, right? 
I mean, it's we're, we're going there and giant steps, you know, being able to upload our brain and do all these things. And then the question is, we have to say, well, what do we want and what is an aberration and what is normal? Is it normal to be transhuman? <laughs> is it normal to not wear an AR outfit? Uh, you know, big questions. Yeah, but then you also say, and this is one of the most famous creators you have, I mean, embrace technology, but don't become it. Are you not saying now that we are going to become somehow technology, that we are going to have these kind of twins? I mean, what is it then that makes us human, actually? Well, I, I think the question really is what uh, if we want that, not the question that we can have it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know... Uh, we have many examples today. We have things like music and films, you know, unlimited things. You know, and, and now the question is no longer whether we can want it, but what do we want, <laughs> right? I mean, I can have, what, uh, 35 million songs or so on Spotify, but do I know what to listen to? <laughs> uh, and so that, that shifts the issue from distribution to purpose, right? And mm -hmm. for me, this is exactly the same when we talk about what we will be in the future. The big question is not that we can do it. Eventually, I think we can do most of those things. The question is, what would be good for us? Why are we doing this? Are we doing this to make money? Are we doing this to survive? Or, and what is the right thing for do for us to do? And in average, not not on every single minor issue, right? Um, so I think this is the key question. So my, my my what I say is that we should use technology to stay more human. And yes extend our lifespan to a certain degree, live better. Yes, that's all good, right? But fundamentally become not human? I would say it's a very bad idea because we're going to lose things that we didn't even know we liked. Yeah, I very much agree. When you think about, um, and to, to finish uh, maybe this fascinating conversation, but if you think about uh, traveling back from the future to today, uh, would that be the time where uh, values, which you, you know just described, like solidarity, like collaboration, like trust, has become um, has become the big winner of, of this whole crisis. Will we remember 2020 not more of you know because of the of the crisis, which always will stay there, and and the tragedy uh, on the human side, but will it also be seen as a, as a start of of a new area of some some new form of uh, of living together based on these values I just mentioned and maybe some others. Is, is that is that what you envision? Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm an optimist, and I believe in, in the uh, positive nature of humans and in the ability to change and to adapt and to look at the common objective. Uh, I believe that's true for humans. And so, therefore, I would say what we experience right now is the sort of setting the stage for a new way of looking at things that will have economic and, and, and social and cultural technological consequences, right? Uh, and one thing I think that's really important for us that that, you know, we uh, even before the crisis, we primarily look at the future in fear. And where is that coming from? It's like, yeah, it's coming from Hollywood. <laughs> and it's coming from, you know, some, some uh, sort of tech companies pushing things that may work in 50 years. Yeah? And, you know, so I'm, I'm with this approach of saying, okay, we have to be proactive and, and engage technology, but we also have to be a little bit precautionary and, and sort of protect what makes us human, right? Uh, and that balance will, will be done in cities, in countries, in companies, and around the world, hopefully in, in a collective effort, in a collective effort, where we're saying, okay, uh, embrace technology, but don't become it. What does that mean? You know, how can we slice and dice it so that we actually have a strong message here uh, and that we find this way forward? I mean, clearly, 
uh, I've said many times what we need kind of is like an, a, a, a protection agency for humanity. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, like saying, okay, let's protect mystery, privacy, mistakes, serendipity, imagination, creativity, asking questions. And that clearly clashes with the philosophy of automating everything, right? And, mm -hmm. and so, but then again, automation is not a bad thing as long as we don't touch on the things that make us human. So that's mm -hmm. why I say, let's meet online, let's have conferences online that do all these things online, but let's not forget, you know, we are meant to commune uh, in, in an actual way rather than a simulated way. Yeah? Uh, like, you know, when you're, when you're doing dating on an app, you're simulating, but then when you meet, you're back to humans, right? And, and this yeah. is really what we want. You know, we don't want to meet an app like, uh, like uh, in the movie Her, you know, that's virtual. That doesn't work for us. <laughs> Yeah, and thanks very much, Gerrit. Um, I can just say I'm looking forward to to have exactly what you just said, to have a coffee with you in some tapas here in Madrid uh, when when some of that is over and, and we can again have the physical contact as well, not only the digital one. Um, it was a fascinating conversation, and uh, thank you very much for your time. Um, and uh, all all the best uh, for you and uh, and for keeping that spirit, you know, of being an optimist. And at the same time, also embracing um, the possibilities and the future um, and, and trying to see that as a way to become better as societies, as human beings, um, and not only uh, become depressed because things are changing. I think that's that's the only thing we can do. And this is what kind of makes us human. And, and we are great in that, as we see uh, when we look around the world currently. Yeah, maybe you know, as, a, as a final message, I, I kept saying a lot before the crisis, you know, the future is better than we think. Mm -hmm. um, and I think uh, that would be really ironic to say in so many ways now, because right now it doesn't look very bright, right? Uh, so I would put an asterisk there and say the future is better than we think, provided that we collaborate to make it so. Right? Mm -hmm. And this is the number one thing. There's, there's nothing here that we cannot address together. There's only a few things that we can drop when we're not together. Right, that may ultimately last and, and not a very good future. You know, that, that could be the result if we forego all the possibilities that we have. So that would be my call to people to collaborate to create that better future that we want. That's a great uh, final statement, Gerd. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you.